let's not talk too much about Star Wars on a Star Trek podcast. People are going to get mad. Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Style Guide with your host Dave Morris and Stephen Orr. How are you doing there today, Dave? I'm doing pretty good, Steve-O. It's nice to nice to hear your voice as always. It's nice to hear your voice too, Dave. Oh, isn't that sweet? Well, uh, as much as I'd love to just hear your voice, I think uh, this podcast is going to be a little different, isn't it? It's going to be a little bit different. That's right. We have a special guest with us. Yeah, live in the studio. Well, my part of the studio. He's not in, in Ottawa. He's here in Victoria. And not live because this is coming out after we record it. I'm yes. alive. And and definitely not a studio because we're just in my living room. <laughs> but, <laughs> but other than the parts of that that are wrong, we have we are, Theodore yeah. Sherman with us. Theodore Sherman live in studio with us. Uh, and uh, we've uh, had him on the podcast before, although you weren't here for that uh, when we talked about uh, castaway movies. Uh, so Theo was our castaway expert. And now he's here as what kind of expert, Steve-O? He is going to be a Star Trek expert. Uh, are you ready for that today, Theo? Uh, yeah, I think I can rise to the challenge. Yeah, welcome to the podcast, Theo, again. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, and we do need you here. We do need you here to be a Star Trek episode, uh, Star Trek expert, because I think you're the only one of us that likes Voyager. Is that right, Steve? No, no, no. This, you and I have had this conversation before, and somehow you've gotten the impression that I'm on your side. Yeah, but I, you are. But I am a Trekkie. Like yeah, I, but, I've been a Trekkie for my entire life. But you're not a voyagee. There's no, that is not a word. <laughs> I know. Uh, okay, so apparently both of you like Voyager. But Theo, you're the only one that likes Enterprise. I am actually a fan of all of the series for their whatever their own merits are. But yes, I actually am a fan of Enterprise, even though it has its massive, massive problems. Yeah, Steve-O, uh, you're not a fan of Enterprise, right? No, I don't think anyone in their right mind can be a fan of Enterprise. Okay, good. That's why we have Theo here, because he's a fan <laughs> of all of them, and he's not. In his right mind, apparently. Um, hey, and, you and know bet, what? Yeah, I still agree with all with you guys that DS Nine is the best. Oh, whoa, I, whoa! I agree nobody, with nobody you. Nobody has said that, Theo. Um, that has not I been stated. It. Uh, it, Dave has stated that. Yeah, I think I stated every time we talk about Star Trek. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but you've never stated it on the podcast. I thought that was going to be in our pocket, and we were going to pull that out, you know, midway through. Okay, well, let's pull it up midway through. But let's uh, let's let's let's, uh, let's get started with this podcast because uh, I have to confess I have not seen all of the Star Treks, like every episode. I think Theo has. Yeah. I have. Steve-O, where do you stand on on Star Trek viewing? Uh, I you didn't finish Enterprise, so hmm. that's probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, um, then let's uh, let's let's do a quick round. I'd love to I'd love to hear everyone's introduction to Star Trek because everyone has a different way they got into Star Trek through some family member or discovering it for yourself or you were a nerdy kid. Who knows what your reason is? But I want to hear everyone's stories. And Stevo, we're gonna start with you. So that's tricky for me because I'm not entirely sure where my first introduction to Star Trek was. 
I believe that my mother was interested in the Star Trek. Well, no, I know that she was interested in Star Trek because I, I recall her and I watched Voyager together. So I, I would guess that it was probably my mom who introduced me to TNG at some point. And, and that's how I went. I went from TNG probably to Voyager to DS9 back to the original series. I had a bit of a weird, non, uh, not at all chronological jump through the series. Wait, what was that? It was TNG to Voyager? I think TNG to Voyager, then to DS9 at the same time, but after, and then back to the original series and catching up on the movies throughout. Interesting. Cool. Cool. Theo? Uh, mine is fairly similar. When I was a very young kid, my mom introduced me to TNG. We'd watch it on Thursday nights when my sister went to her guides meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Theodore Sherman, everyone. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then much later on, uh, when I was in high school, I found Voyager at like midnight and I started watching it and just kept watching it. And I watched everything that I could get my hands on of Star Trek after that. Hmm. Cool. Uh, mine is different than both of you. Different. I, I grew up with the original series as a kid. So I wasn't a kid when it was out, but I was a kid when the reruns were on the air. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say, I was very confused about how old you are. <laughs> I'm, I'm old then. Uh, no, and it was my mother who was a huge original series fan. And so we would always watch it whenever reruns were on. I don't remember the night, but we'd always watch the original series and my mom would laugh and say like, Oh, I love that captain Kirk. Uh, and so on. He was a sexy man. He still is my man. Was okay. So, uh, so we would watch the original series, uh, and then TNG was on the air at the time. So then we'd also watch TNG, but it was mostly like the original series was what my mom had a soft spot for. And then TNG was just the modern day star Trek that was out there. Uh, and then I do remember DS9 coming out, but I was kind of like a cool teenager when it came out. And so uh, as cool of a teenager as I ever became. So let me clarify that. Not the cool, just a cooler version of myself. And so I kind of rejected DS9 because it was like way more boring than the original, than, than like spaceship landing on planets. Well, you're not wrong because the first couple of seasons were pretty bad. Yeah. And then I got excited when Voyager came out and then I watched a couple episodes and just lost interest right away. Uh, and then friends of mine and I, when we were in like our mid twenties, discovered DS nine as adults and watched it over the course of like a few months when someone had a box set of it. And we watched the whole thing over, over a few months, like every night we'd watch a few episodes and it was awesome. And we all fell in love with DS nine more than any other Star Trek. And I haven't really seen any of the movies. You haven't How seen is... like any of them? I haven't really seen any of them. How like, if you possible? ask me, like, what happens in such and such movie, I can kind of remember, like, the search for Spock. Uh, okay, I don't remember that one very well. Um, you, re you remember the voyage home because it's the one with the whales. I remember the one with whales and time travel. What about I, Wrath of Khan? I remember Wrath of Khan. I remember uh, what's his name, uh, Montalban. Oh yeah, Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, Ricardo Montalban. Yes. You mean Benedict Cumberbatch, right? No, no. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, so I don't if really you were know here, I would many of you. the many of those original movies, but uh, I, I don't think I ever saw Nemesis, well, uh, or Generations, or yeah, I haven't seen many of the movies, uh, but except for the new ones, the new movies I have seen. So you 
generations first contact even insurrection like you don't you don't know those movies no i have no knowledge of those films except that in one of them like data learns how to feel or something that's that's, that's actually a running theme throughout the uh the star trek <laughs> yeah. tng yeah, movies i guess i just sort of maybe referenced any episode of data <laughs> Okay, but That's Theo, you've seen obviously all of the movies. I have seen all the movies. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. My my favorite being when Kirk wins against God. <laughs> Kirk wins against God. That's Star Trek Five. Yeah. Yeah. God. He, uh, God. God. What? Okay. Someone explain this to me. <laughs> Go nuts, Theo. <laughs> it, there's not much to explain. Is that uh, they take the Enterprise through the galactic barrier at the center of the uh, galaxy. They uh, discover a planet where there is God, literally God, and Kirk fights him and wins. Okay, in in this movie's defense, <laughs> it's not it's not positive that it's God. It's it's Spock's brother believes that it's God. So it's never entirely no, no one's like, yes, this is one hundred percent God. Doesn't Kirk say that, though? Uh, I can't remember. Hey, wait. Spock has a brother? Yeah, Cybok. Yeah, it, uh, it's not a half-brother. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. This is, uh, this, is all, this is all... I'm learning so much. So, uh, <laughs> now, we do now know how we all got into Star Trek. That's great. Um, and uh, anything, else, uh, anything else to say about getting into Star Trek, or should we move on? Well, I want to put you right on the hot seat, Dave, because Me? you okay. you don't like Star Trek as as a whole. You like some individual parts of it, but as a whole, you are pretty derogatory towards uh, Star Trek, and I want to know why. All right. Well, I, I first I have to completely disagree with you. I think you have that. <laughs> I have that. I think you have that completely backwards. <laughs> okay. In that, I love Star Trek as a whole. I love the whole concept the whole universe the whole the every everything about the the federation and exploring space and and the even the concept of voyager being lost in space and all that i love all the the parts of it as a whole but when i start looking at specifics is when i start not liking it anymore so i i uh voyager as a concept is great but then when i start watching episodes of it i find the characters not very compelling and I, I lose interest or uh the whole um like even ds9 which is clearly my favorite there are episodes where i where it's like another klingon episode Ugh, i'm tired of klingon episodes uh once Worf gets on the show you know what i mean uh they get they get pretty uh, more battle cries and like has this has this like like a race of peoples the the klingons is everything about war like they don't have anything they don't like everything's just about battle victory it's it's a little boring so uh so the general of star trek i love and i will always have a soft spot for it's the specifics like when i watch if i when i watch season one of, of tng and i just i can't make it through a single episode i am not sure there's a good episode in the first season of TNG or yeah, TNG. actually any of the series. Now DS9 has a couple good episodes in the first season. Really? Yeah, actually has quite a few. It's been I, a long I really time since I watched the first, the first season. season. I really like the first season of DS9. Uh, 
It's later on when there's so many Ferengi and Klingon episodes that you start rolling your eyes at it. Okay, maybe that's what it is. Uh, does that answer your question there, Steve? That does. Yeah, that that kind of that that puts it very clearly for me. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's the the fact that it's it's much it's a much always a much campier thing to watch than it is to just remember and think about. Well, and it is one of those shows that I don't think is at all made for the binge watch. Like I think. I think watching Star Trek episodes back to back, um, you get to see the episodes with cracks a lot more, mm-hmm. and and so it it does make it harder to watch. I will, I will agree with that sentiment. Although I only have ever binge watched like DS Nine, I've only ever binge watched. I've never well, just I... put on an episode of DS Nine. I start at the beginning and I watch it all the way through to the end. Well, and the thing about DS9, and I mean, I think Theo will back me up on this, is that it was the, I mean, first and really only Star Trek series, if you don't count Enterprise, to really take on long-term arcs in a meaningful way. I mean, I know that Voyager had a couple of them, but but really, DS9 was more like Babylon 5 in that way. Is that, that not right? Mm. I'm going to let Theo respond to that. Well, I, I completely agree with you, Stevo. And you're right, Voyager did have a bit of a longer standing arc, mostly because they were going home. But they only ever really re- referenced former episodes. They never had them come back in anything, any proper way. And the same enemies came back, and occasionally there was a reference to an old battle or something like that. But they never had that overall arc of the Dominion War or anything like that. Yeah, and I think didn't doesn't TNG open and close with the similar episode like Q putting him on trial? Um, kind of. I mean, yeah, we we do go back to that, yes. But I think rather than that being like the intended story arc, that was definitely a how the hell do we wrap up this show in a nice little bow? Let's throw back to that original. Yeah, let's go yeah. back to the very, very beginning. Yeah, and so it gives the illusion of an overarching story. Yeah, but... that humanity's <laughs> been on trial the entirety of TNG. Yeah. And Picard saved humanity um, by being awesome. Yeah, so so yeah, DS9 definitely has like overarching stories, which is what makes it one of my favorites. Uh, uh, it makes it my favorite, not one of just my favorite. Uh, because it does have those wonderful Dominion War arcs and the whole uh, um, Dax and Worf getting married and then Dax dying. Eh. <laughs> I never had an attachment to Jedzia. Yeah, didn't really I like care. Jedzia. Uh, but then, uh, but but also the whole thing with the prophets and Cisco being the uh, the emissary to the prophets and stuff, and the whole religion on the planet and like everything. Like, there's just so many arcs that that are going throughout that whole series that it makes it. It's always nice to tune in to pick an episode and you watch it and you're like, aha, this is during this part of the show. This is season three, I can tell. Yeah, and whereas something like TNG or Voyager or the original series don't really have that same sort of experience where like, you can tell when and where an episode is based on maybe what characters are prominent or what characters are excluded – but it, it gets hard to tell, you know, the different kinds of episodes in different seasons unless you're playing the inside baseball game of, oh, well, I know the writers of these sorts of episodes, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh, and and uh, and some of the episodes in DS9, you could shift around like which comes first and it wouldn't have a huge effect on anything. 
But there are certain episodes that need to happen in that exact time and place to forward the whole overarching story. I think that's more of uh, a thing later on when it comes to the actual uh, Dominion War. Because the earlier stuff, I think you could change them around and not have a problem, aside from when Cisco arrives. Yeah, but there's also like the first seasons, a lot of him like building Cisco, building trust with uh, with Kira. Yeah, Kira and and the Bajorans and the Bajorans in general. So like, if you see that he's not on good terms with Kira and the Bajorans, then you're like, oh, this is season one clearly. Like this is that story arc, you know, because um, he earns her trust eventually. And well, and the Ferengi, like the relationship that the Ferengi have on the station kind of builds and O'Brien builds over the series. Like there are, there is a distinct building of the characters that happens very differently than you see in the next generation. To an extent, you get some of that in Voyager, but in Voyager, it always felt more, I don't know, bullshitty. <laughs> like, like seven of nine becoming uh becoming more and more human and i wish you could see theo right now he is like holding in something he just wants to he just go wants nuts to re- he has something to tell you <laughs> <laughs> well i i don't disagree ds9 did character arcs for most of the crew better uh I think some of the people on Voyager grew, and I don't mean Seven, because, yeah, she became more human, and whoop de fucking do She is the most throwaway character on that entire series. But Tom Paris grew an awful lot over the course, because he was this reject badass that, you know, everybody hated, and he never did what he was told, and he became, you know, the father, the, the father figure later on. I, I, I agree. I think Tom Paris is an example of one of the few characters that not only his individual episodes showed great growth for the character that endured past those episodes, but then also he endured over seasons and and was probably the best character on the entire show. And I disagree. Go nuts. Janeway. Okay, you're, you're going to have to justify Janeway to me because Janeway was a frustrating and terrible captain from day one to me. I completely disagree with that. Janeway, by a wide margin, is the best Starfleet captain we've seen in a series. Janeway is the best? Janeway. Okay. Okay, Okay, well, to be fair, Benjamin Sisko isn't a captain. He is later. Uh, No, He becomes a captain. It doesn't count. Commander, though. Yeah, he was a commander, and he, he like, and he does become a captain. But you're right; he was not originally. But if so, we're talking like protagonist captain figure, how can you choose Janeway over Benjamin Sisko? I can choose Janeway over Benjamin Sisko because I think about who would I think would absolutely win in a cage match, and it's Janeway every time. Hold on, hold on. I mean, I, I just need to speak up on, on the defense of our listeners because all of them are saying, you guys are arguing between Janeway and Cisco. What about Picard? Picard is clearly the best captain. Picard is a diplomat. He is a great diplomat. Cisco is a warrior. Janeway's both. Picard is a terrible captain. <laughs> well, okay, so, okay, I mean, are we, how are we, 
how are we deciding good and bad here? Are we saying like how good they are at their job of yes. like, captaining a ship and oh, running then a they're crew? all awful running a crew, or how good are they as protagonists that we root for and want to follow and have flaws and emotions? Like, is that what's making them good here? What's what do we mean by good captain? No, I'm just talking about decent at your job, and the only the only captain of the entire the entire uh, Star Trek universe who's good at their job is who's a main character of the series is Cisco. I I actually agree with that because Picard, Janeway, Archer all violate the prime directive whenever the hell it suits themselves. Cisco at least struggles with it when he does. I think Data was the best captain that time when he had to cover for Picard. <laughs> or that future when he was the captain. Or the future when he was that. Yeah, Riker was not a good captain. No, but he was always a number 2. Crusher was good. Crusher was good. Leslie? That one time that she became the captain when no one has left on board. No, when she captains her own ship in the future. Oh, the Pasteur. Yeah. So we're still not talking about Wesley Crusher. No, no he's we're not never talking about Wesley Crusher. <laughs> uh, okay, I think I think all of them are pretty bad at their jobs. Uh, even Cisco. Cisco gets way too emotional. And it's like, oh, you think, huh? Well, I'm going to blow this place up. And then he does something rash. Or completely breaks the law and goes undercover. And Janeway does the same. I think the reason I'm uh, a Janeway fan over the other captains, and don't get me wrong, I like all of them. Okay. But the reason that I think she is, by and large, the best captain out of all of them is she inspires loyalty. She is a diplomat. She negotiates with people she's never met all the time and gets them to agree on stuff that she has no idea about. And on top of that, she is one steely-eyed that you would not want a sitting across the table from you. I don't have a retort uh, to that. I, just I don't lied. really have a retort to that. Except that uh, I don't think she'd win in a fight against Benjamin Sisko. I, I, I think she would. I think, I think she would he'd... bite his ear off. I, I don't know. I think Sisko would kick her butt. I mean, I, this is one of those weird hypotheticals that not only do we not have an answer to, but like is, I think, fundamentally unanswerable. <laughs> Yeah, you you can't really. Like, especially if you consider, like, Janeway's superpower is time traveling whenever she wants. And so, (laughs) like, Benjamin Sisko is going to have a hard, like, even if you're the emissary of the prophets, like, she can just, you know, groundhog day that until she gets it right. That's true. Yeah, she could do that. Uh, Yeah, you know, the thing I love about Sisko, can I just, can I get on why I love Sisko so much? Yes, please. Okay. uh, I mean, I love Picard. But Cisco is my guy, and I think it's because, and this is this is something they did in that uh, in DS Nine that they didn't do in any of the other Star Treks as well, which is he was a father, and he had a kid named Jake. We all remember Jake. Yes, he was DS 9s Wesley Crusher. But the fact that we got to see him be a father and a commander and a, a fighter and a diplomat and an emissary and all these different things of his character, it was so well rounded in that sense and you saw him getting emotional about things and dealing with that emotions and then the the struggle of being not only a father but also a captain and i love seeing that in him see dave dave probably forgot about the tng episode bloodlines what happened oh when picard's kid shows up and it's not really his kid he's just a con man well i mean janeway's a parent too apparently 
Was she Jamie's a parent? a parent? I don't remember her. Uh, the episode Threshold, her and Tom Paris. Oh, meet. that does not count. When they turn into alien creatures when they hit warp 11? No, Theo. That doesn't count. It's warp 10. <laughs> you, that doesn't count. You don't get to count. Okay, we are getting <laughs> off the rails here. Steven's going to pull this back. <laughs> so bit. I'm just saying that's that's one thing I love about Cisco is that he's got he's got emotional depth to his character. Whereas like Picard is just like, He's yeah, Picard. they show his father too, mm-hmm. and they show Cisco's father as well. Do you meet his father? Yeah, and I love that he has this old relationship with Dax, who is also his mentor and his like underling at the same time because of the whole thing with the the sim symbiote symbiote sim symbiote symbiote. Uh, I love that relationship and and showing that side of Cisco as like calling her old man all the time. I think is amazing. Interesting relationship. Yes. Yeah, but it helps show his character, and that's the thing I like about uh, Cisco, and why I feel like he's my captain. He's my sorry, he's my commander, and he hates Picard. Mm-hmm, he he does, does hate Picard because of the the battle at Wolf. The O say the numbers for me three five nine. <laughs> Thank you, um, and and I think that was one of the kind of breakthroughs that they had with DS Nine was. Some of the interesting relationship development had to happen with characters who weren't on the ship. Like that that was that was the case with TNG, right? Like there's only so much you can do between Data and Geordi before it becomes old. And so you have to introduce new characters. But there's a sense in which like just going back to Earth every time and having, you know, Geordi meet up with his parents would be dumb. And so in DS9, they're able to kind of by making it this stationary space station, really build relationships outward and have those relationships be quite meaningful. And I thought that that was a great, great move on DS9's part, even though at first, like, I can imagine DS9 being like, what? You're going to do a Star Trek series that isn't exploring brave new worlds? Yeah, it's exploring paperwork. (laughs) 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 And maintaining a space station. That was under Cardassian rule. Well, and you're right, Steve-O. It's, uh, it's, it was an easy way for them to bring in new characters because people would come through the station all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and TNG, and even worse, Voyage, like Voyager could never bring in new characters. The, the problem that Voyager faced was that its crew had to be so amazing that you wanted to watch them every week, and they they weren't. I mean, there there were good elements of the crew, but there's only so much of that crew that you're going to take before you have to introduce a former Borg hottie in order to boost ratings. Theo rolled his eyes when you were talking about how you don't want to watch them week to week. Well, no, actually, I, I agree with you, but I think that something I would have liked to have seen out of Voyager is exploring more about the fact that you can't replace crew. You can't bring on new people and crew members are dying all the time. Shit explodes on that ship all the time. And yeah. I would like to see, I would have liked to see more deaths uh, amongst the crew and having to deal with the fact that you have a diminishing crew capacity. But I think, I think that gets to the problem with Voyager in the Star Trek universe. It's hard to tell a story that is that kind of, I guess gritty is the word for it, where where people die. Like, imagine a Game of Thrones-esque uh, willingness to kill off characters in space. That that couldn't really happen with Gene Roddenberry's vision of this this Star Trek utopia. No, it can't. 
And I think you're right that that's exactly the sort of thing that makes sense in that you in in that kind of story. But we, of course, never saw it. Well, DS9 showed an awful lot of Starfleet officers' deaths uh, in a couple of episodes, but that was season six, season seven. Yeah, well, and I'm trying to think. Like, we can probably count on maybe two hands, but one hand, the the number of character main characters in all of the Star Trek series who who died off. Oh, I'd go with one hand in yeah, easily, yeah, yeah, because it's and what Tasha Yar. I mean, you could include Spock. Yeah, he didn't really die though. Well, and that's the same reason you could include Data. Um, as well but yeah. but that's the thing like they they had an unwillingness to kill their characters because that's not what you did with gene roddenberry's universe you yeah they, they needed to game of thrones that a little bit well and partly that's storytelling now versus when we were kids when this was all coming out mm-hmm. well and i i mean i really wonder whether game of thrones like th- that style of storytelling could work in in a star trek universe right like would part of the reason that i think people watch the show isn't for the week to week you know what happens next on the episodes because truthfully like by the time they got to well i mean ds9 for sure like the star trek had a set of cliche episodes that you were gonna run through and they were they were very similar to each other yeah Yeah, like like the uh, trader on the ship kind of thing, or the transporter accident episode, or time the travel episode, episodes, time, or the time episode, travel, time travel episodes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's the the mirror universe? So it's called. Not in all of the series. What? Which ones are not in? TNG for one, Voyager for another. TNG doesn't go to the. They never go to the mirror universe. They didn't want to explore it, and DS Nine brought it back. Brilliantly, I might add. I loved that mm-hmm. about DS Nine loved and um <laughs> question mark actually enterprise never went to the mirror universe there was a mirror universe episode but it was a standalone just oh. told a story within that universe and then they moved on cool that's a good one so we've we've kind of gotten out into the weeds here based on uh on your attack of me steve saying that i don't like star trek <laughs> um but does that answer your question now that we've talked about it well, and, and it does, and I think, but it, it kind of loops back around to what is so kind of wonderful about it, because I, I, think, I think you're right, the whole idea of Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry's vision is fantastic. Like it, mm-hmm. I, I think that particularly in the time period in which the original series and even TNG were coming out, it it was a breath of fresh air to kind of to have this utopian vision of of humanity as a species yeah and it is it is like an example where like the whole is not the sum of its parts like the whole if the whole was the sum of its parts it would be not as good <laughs> but the whole is great because it's not the sum of its parts it's the the parts are are not as important as the the overall vision i agree well and i mean like i look at so I mean we can we can make fun of Riker and I think I think <laughs> I, I, I think we would but I I look fondly on Riker like I think that he as a character as a whole character is an interesting character despite the fact that I don't know if I could point to individual instances of liking him 
Like, and, and that kind of fits into how I feel about a lot of the characters in the Star Trek series. For the most part, I like them as a whole character and, and struggle to identify exactly why I like them. Like Wesley Crusher. I like Wesley Crusher. Nope. I don't think Wesley Crusher ever did anything worthwhile in the... Well, that's that's really extreme. <laughs> but, like, I, I, I don't think he was a particularly good character. But I think within the universe in which he's set and fit, I, I thought he was great. I thought he was an absolutely useless garbage character. Myself. Wesley Crusher is... Nope. Okay. The, uh, uh, well, I guess I get to break the tie here, <laughs> and I'll say, I'll say, uh, I'll say Wesley's, Wesley's okay. He's in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Goldilocks. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think uh, what I love about the, the, the sort of transition from the next, uh, the original series to TNG is that we still have the same character types from that original series, just broken up differently, like all of the character traits are still present like like they took kirk and kind of broke him into two and made it picard and riker you know where picard was like the good parts of kirk and riker was like the cocky parts of kirk <laughs> like uh the the sideways head swing kind of thing got into riker and like uh, and and i think that's that's one of the coolest things about the show is how they broke it into all those different parts like spock is still on the it's still there, that essence, except it's now in Data and Geordi are kind of sharing it, you know. Well, and I think that's, you're right, they they broke up aspects of the main uh, group because there was only three in the original, really, mm-hmm. main characters, and they actually spread it out over the larger group of the uh, senior officers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I, I kind of want to jump uh, into, uh, into individual series and let's consider the movies to be their own series. How does that sound? Yeah, I thought we weren't going to go into the movies, really. Because I, 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 I think we should throw back to that the original series, the series that started it all, and see how it launched everything into being. Like, uh, And I think, when I think of uh, Star Trek, I'm going to compare it to Zelda for a second here, if everyone's okay with that. Sure. Steve, are you okay with me comparing this to Zelda? It's going to be a long way to go. I believe you and I had a two-hour, three-hour conversation about this, so yeah, I'm cool with it. So Zelda, the original Zelda, the Legend of Zelda, uh, where you play Link trying to save Zelda from Ganondorf, or Ganon in the original. He's not even Ganondorf; is some new construct. Um, weeds but, lost in the weeds, Dave. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the original Zelda game and the sequel to it, which was the Adventures of Link, in the uh, but just focusing on the first one. Almost everything that gets that that is redone later in all of the Zeldas comes from that original game, right? The sword, the different levels of swords, the whistle that can make music, the the boots that let you do stuff. Like, oh, sorry, there weren't boots in the original. Um, the like uh, being able to like bridge over things or like grappling hook type stuff all kind of comes from that original game, right? Uh, and then the Adventures of Link, which was the second one, added a few other things like the boots and a, a gauntlet that lets you lift stuff. Uh, and then everything else just kind of like changed around a little bit about what those do and didn't add too many new things. And I feel like Star Trek fits into that as well, where the original series kind of set everything up. And then all the ones after it didn't really add too many new things to it and just kind of like took the same kind of concepts of the 
captain and the this and they shifted it around a little bit just like how in zelda you go through different dungeons and get different things at different times but like it it still kind of fits that same model of the original series uh with the exception of course of our favorite which is ds9 um that shifts it around a little bit more than the others but still takes a lot of its inspiration from the original series what do you think yeah, well, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, what you're talking about is Star Trek as a modern myth, you know, and we've talked about this a little bit with Star Wars, but I think Star Trek is is an even better fit to it because with Star, with Star Wars, there's actually such a limited, uh, limited bit of source material. But with with the original series, we had quite a bit to draw on. And then that sort of that myth was replayed in a different context for a different era with TNG. And then again, differently with with both Deep Space Nine and Voyager. And again, even more differently with the, the new reboot movies uh, that I think we decided are actually not reboots, they're side quills. It's, as, it's an alternate universe. Yeah, because it spins off. But, but uh, yeah, with those even more so, they've retold that myth for a new era. Yeah, and and I I think you're you're right to point to Star Trek as being being one of those modern day myths, and and I think that that's what's what's important and significant about the original series. I don't rewatch the original series. I don't I don't particularly advocate that someone trying to get into Star Trek does either. Not because that I not because I think it's terrible, but because we are getting so far removed from the context in which a science fiction show on television like that was so novel yes and 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 so meaningful in in the era uh you know the 60s when it when it was around it made a lot more sense for the story and the idea of the story made a lot more sense for people in that context and as we get further and further away from that context the the core character of that myth loses its uh, significance for us, I think, some somewhat. Yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful way to phrase it, and a much more uh, academic and articulate way of phrasing it than I did, because I compared it to Zelda. Uh, <laughs> Theo, what do you think? Anything to add to the original series? Uh, the original series is not my favorite, because mm-hmm. uh, it's a little on the hokey side, but I think one of the things it gave us was the whole universe. And one of the things that I'm glad to see disappeared from future series was the the sort of monster of the week. Like you had the 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 Nazi planet, you had the the Abe Lincoln in space, and you had <laughs> the, the exploration of like this random monster in space. It was as much as yes, there's monster of the week episodes in the future. It kind of lost the like the weirdness of it yeah because nobody wants space space the ape lincoln uh, yeah and the uh, the americana of it i thought like that you brought up space ape lincoln because wasn't there an episode or was it maybe it was the space ape lincoln but the episode where they like land on a planet where these people have this like whole custom around these like found documents that kirk discovers is actually the declaration of independence but like been like smudged out or something like that there's a couple episodes like that because <laughs> there's like, the one that super american <laughs> Well, and there's one where a Starfleet officer goes rogue, lands on a planet, and institutes, like, Nazis in space. Because he's like, it was an efficient time in the in the universe, and he takes that model and puts it on this planet. Which is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but that is what I love about the original series and the the fun they have with everything. It's just fun to watch. Yeah, you know, yes. you don't you don't get you don't get troubles with tribbles in uh, in any other Star Trek without the original series having done it. You know, like and and traveling back to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, I think I think as a foundation it's hard to deny how 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 great the original series was even even if we don't go back to it again and again in the same ways that I I go back and rewatch TNG episodes all the time. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Which I guess brings us to TNG unless anyone else has anything to add no. on to. Brings us right to TNG, no, which I TNG. think is is was the real beginning of of the new craze of Star Trek. Like like before TNG, Trekkies weren't really in existence. That's true, actually. Uh, and there's also a difference between Trekkers and Trekkies. Please explain the difference. There isn't much of one. It's just one, like, <laughs> Trekkies. There is a difference. There isn't much of one. <laughs> it's, it's not a giant difference. It's not a giant difference. But Trekkies are people who are... And somebody, I'm sure, will correct me. I might be wrong in reversing the words, but uh, is into the original series and the original series only. Uh, uh, and Trekkers are the people that are into the entire universe. I think you have that backwards. I might have it backwards. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Trekkies are into the whole universe and Trekkers are into the original. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Well, one of us is right. I'm so, going to go with Steve-O. TNG. He didn't ring it on that one. TNG. Uh, I think it was the beginning of this new thing, this Star Trek as a thing that we now know it, uh, whereas the original series was just kind of a funny little TV show, and it wasn't until TNG came around that it really blew it into full-fledged, like, this is something, this is now becoming a myth. Well, it actually was becoming a myth earlier, and I know we weren't going to talk about the movies, but there's the original TV show, and then there's... 20 years of movies and then they re uh they did tng i mean it's only six movies but no that's true i've never seen the movie well and and that's the thing those those movies uh really in in a lot of ways they they made the original series better not not because you watch the movies and you're like oh man now i'm gonna go rewatch the original series but almost because you couldn't Right. And so you would you would have these these brief little glimpses into the world and then you would look fondly back on the experience of the original series. And I mean, the movies weren't all that great, but some of them were very good. And I think that's the lens through which a lot of people ended up viewing the original series through the later great movies like The Voyage Home and Wrath of Khan. Yeah, Wrath of Khan. And so in in a lot of ways, those movies were such a necessary component to building up the universe so that we could get to Star Trek The Next Generation. Because you don't get to The Next Generation without those films. It just doesn't... Um, no one continues to care. Yeah, true. So I apologize for discounting the importance of the films that I never watched. Well, it's it's fine. Um, it was just sort of like we, I don't think TNG gave birth to what the greatness of Star Trek. It just it was a large catalyst, but it's not the. I think the movies kind of did it really well, and it it gets kind of once we get to TNG, we're allowed to have that debate between captains and ships and crew 
and narratives and arcs and that sort of stuff. Whereas when it's just the original series, all we have is the one thing. And yeah. even even though it's built up in the movies, all we have is that one thing. And what what TNG does is it says, okay, we're going to take that one thing, but we're going to set it 80 years into the future. And so in a sense, it's not the same universe. It is because we recognize some of the races and we recognize some of the storylines and even a couple of the characters show up from time to time. But it's not the same thing. It's so very different. Yeah. Like, I, it's not like when they do, you know, Law and Order and then they do Law and Order. Okay, that's a bad example because I don't know any of the Law and Order spinoffs. You mean like CSI or CSI Miami or CSI Los Angeles or whatever? Well, and actually that's even, even a better example, right? Because when they jump to a different city, they are almost jumping to a different universe there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that really in some ways feels like what they did with Star Trek The Next Generation because it isn't the original series. It in that when you watch that that first episode, Encounter at Farpoint, it doesn't it doesn't at all feel like the Star Trek of old. No, not not at all. Mm -hmm. It's very new. It's very much its own universe. And that's probably why they decided 80 years in the future, because then everything can be different. Yeah, everything everything is the same but different. <laughs> it's the same but different. That's that's how you know it's a good sequel. That's true. And and so, I mean, I I didn't get to experience it obviously in the same way that that uh, you know, fans of the original series did. I was I was born I think the first year that TNG was on the air. So it it doesn't have the same sort of resonance for me. And TNG so TNG doesn't well, it doesn't like I don't have that same sort of experience of wow, this is what it, this is different than the thing that I used to love. Ah, yes. To you, it was they're all they're all you're experiencing them all at the same time. Yeah, and so I I got to experience I TNG as my my Star Trek. Yeah, it's like the poor people who who still uh, who have now grown up in a world where the prequels existed for Star Wars. Ugh. Right, and to them, like they're all the same movie. Uh, whereas to the smarter ones of us, it's like, well, they're very different. Don't connect them, kid. Don't connect them. But they still do, and they see. I mean, need I remind you that everything young Anakin Skywalker says is uh, is canon. Yeah, um, but there's also people out there that I know that are about our age that do not like the old quote unquote. Star Wars movies, they really just want to watch the prequels. I hate those people. I do too. Anyway, sorry, let's not talk too much about Star Wars on a Star Trek podcast. People are going to get mad. Okay, TNG, back to TNG. Why is it so great? What made it so awesome? TNG was great, I think, largely because uh, they cast Sir Patrick as the captain uh, and they explored some interesting things and they were exploring more modern problems than uh you know the cold war even though they sort of had it but they also got to um explore it as a it ending as well because the federation was still kind of at war with the klingons and then they became friends middle of the series well and in in a lot of ways i think you're right to point to the modern problems right like it's 
it's super easy if you're watching uh, TNG to, to go, oh, the like, I don't remember that the Berlin Wall fell halfway through these movies or these this series, but it did. And that the, the tone of the show changed to kind of reflect the very different non-Cold War atmosphere that they were in. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was a science fiction show that was speaking to the present in new and interesting and kind of fun ways. And so I think that's one of the reasons why TNG succeeded, not where the original series failed, because I don't think it did, but it succeeded in a completely different way. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It, it became a very different kind of phenomena. And, and I think you're right pointing to, you know, Sir, Sir Patrick as, uh, as the captain being a very different kind of captain, being a more sensible, uh, civilized in comparison to Kirk captain, I think showed a very different mentality and distant. He's very, very distant from his crew until much later. So he was a little bit more dispassionate. He, he did his job and he isolated himself quite well to the effect that he had, you know, his crew do their jobs exactly as he needed them to do them. And his shirt never fit. His pajamas never fit. <laughs> His pajamas never fit. Although you know the they they changed the uniforms in that show, uh, like constantly after the, after the first season though, like because he had to keep tugging it down in the first season because it was like just not fitting properly. So they changed how they did it so that it would all fit properly. But he'd been doing it for the whole season that he just kept doing it as like his characters. One of his things is when he'd sit up, he would straighten his shirt, even though he didn't have to anymore, because he was just like, "This is what I do. I straighten my shirt." There's something that actually doesn't make sense to me throughout the entirety of the modern uh, Star Trek series. That's TNG, DS9, and Voyager. Is that they had that problem. They gave the crew pajamas to wear on stage and they had problems with them. So eventually they went to like pants and jacket, Mm -hmm. which they did in uh, TNG. But then when they started DS9, they went back to pajamas again. So they had these jumpsuits. And then they also went to jackets and things like that. And then Voyager did it again after all of all of the other two series had like finished. And they're like, well, well, pajamas again. And then, oh, we should we should go back to the pants and jacket again. <laughs> yeah. It was ridiculous to watch this. Yeah, I don't know. It's, maybe it's just something that it's nice to have a costume change halfway through the season. Or halfway through the series. Like I know in DS9 they changed it because they got into war mode. And they, they got into war, so they well, went into war outfits. But they still had the pajama jumpsuits, and then they had the Voyager-style pajama jumpsuits, yeah. and then they went to the um, the pants and jackets, and then they went to the uh, the gray yeah. uh, wartime uniforms. I, I think my favorite transition in costumes was when they realized that if the color of the shirt is only on like the bottom half of the shirt and everyone has the same black shoulders, medium shots are really hard to tell who's... Like what? We can't see what color they are in a medium shot, so we should switch that and reverse it and put the colors on top and the black on the bottom, which they do uh, halfway through TNG. Yep, that's true. So now that we've had an extended discussion about the fashion choices of <laughs> Star Trek, we haven't finished because I want to talk about Deanna Troy's fashion. I'm like, come on, why is she always in a skirt? I don't get it. <laughs> why can't she wear pants like everybody fucking else? What I don't get is why she was bridge crew. Yeah, and why was she bridge crew? She's a counselor. She, yeah, should, she be... should never have been on the bridge. <laughs> in her counseling room. Except for Picard wanted an empath around. Yeah, yeah another reason sense. why he was a bad captain. He, was... <laughs> anyway. he needed an empath. 
Okay, so I guess that does that wrap up TNG for us a little bit? I don't think so. I, I haven't I haven't heard you say anything about TNG yet, Zero. Why is it so good, man? Why? Because it is it is the Star Trek that, and I, I'm just going to say this, and I might be totally wrong, but I'm just going to say this is truth, because that's how truth works. Um, <laughs> I hate you. That everyone listening to this podcast will have been introduced to Star Trek through the next generation. Like that was there into what Star Trek is. Unless there's some weird like 14 year old out there that's listening to this. And the first thing was the new movies that came out. Like, okay, fair enough. But for like, Hey, hey 14 year old, I want to let you know, you're not weird. You, you are wonderful. And Dave calling you weird is because of his own insecurities and nothing to do with you. Yeah, of course, of course it's because of me, uh, but everyone's weird. Okay. So, um, so I think TNG is like, is, is instrumental in, in Star Trek and, and, uh, without it, we would not have DS9 or Voyager. No, that's true. Like, we wouldn't have gone from the original series to DS9. Like, we wouldn't have made that big shift. TNG was like this. It popularized Star Trek to the point that, like, it was it was mainstream now when TNG came out. So, I mean, I think the one of the big reasons that TNG was so successful is that it it was an evolution of a lot of the things that we saw in the original series. So... You know, Spock is a, an interesting character through throughout both the original series and the movies. But when they when they do the data take on that character, it 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 allows them to build him in new and interesting ways. Uh, similarly, I think when you have ideas like the Klingons, for example, the Klingons are kind of a joke in the original series. Like they're not. They're not as as thought out as you get to in TNG. And then, of course, we get to the problem where they, they think about them too much and they, they, we spend more time building up the Klingons than we really want to. But it, it, as a series, tried to build upon and evolve the same ideas into new and interesting ways. And, and I, I think that, you know, even, even though it was unsuccessful at points... Uh, I think where it was successful is what allowed it to to be such a revelation. I mean, the the idea, even things like yes, they encounter God twice in in the original series. <laughs> like, 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 come on, guys! But in uh, TNG, they decided, well, let's let's take that and make it a race of people, the the Q, and so. I I think that that was such a uh, a great way to build it. Yeah, uh, that was a really good direction to go and kind of fix a few of the problems that uh, the original series had, and not really fix them, but you know, allude to the fact that there is a there, there's an overall uh, a story that we don't know necessarily, like the Q. And I don't know, TNG just did it for me, really. Yeah, TNG is awesome, but DS Nine was way better. Good, good transition. Is this, is this where we transition? Well, I think what DS Nine did. This is one of the things in the in the universe of Star Trek that that DS Nine did differently and and amazingly and helped again with that growth of of the Trekkie universe and stuff like that. Was that it was the first like it was the spinoff. It was the one that came during. 
during gener next generation, uh, DS9 started, and there was a handoff of a torch, like a crossover. O'Brien went over to DS9, and then when then when uh, TNG ended, Worf came over to DS9, and it was like it was a sister show that ran alongside of it for a while, which was incredible. That's like there are two Star Trek episodes on the air. Like two Star Trek shows running concurrently. It was like Buffy and Angel of Star Trek. That was maybe a weaker comparison than I could have gone. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure a Cheers Fraser would have been better in there for Steve-O. They didn't love the same time. Fraser. Manny loves Fraser. But you know what I mean? I didn't know you uh, Or Cosby Fraser. Show and uh, Different World. Is that what it was called? The one where she, uh, she went over and... Don't know. Didn't watch either of those. Like Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead, that would that would be a better reference. I know you nope, don't watch either, it's Dave. Not a very but good you're, reference. But you're you're right, and and the it, it Star Trek was suddenly everywhere. Is I think the idea. Yeah, it was. We we hit peak Star Trek. We did. It was like how can we how how many how many Star Treks can we get away with having on the air at the same time? It was basically asked and answered at that time. Well, and TNG ended and Voyager started almost immediately. Yeah, like the next year or something. Not even. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It came out like so and it and it spun off of DS9. Well, it spun off of both of them. Really. I guess, yeah, but didn't didn't Voyager spin off with like the whole war so in, in DS9, the war of the uh the like um uh, what were they called? The the Maquis? The Maquis, yeah. It was like the Maquis Wars and stuff, the sort of civil war within DS9, which was another wonderful story arc. Um, isn't that where Voyager kind of spun off at that time, and that's why one of them was actually the captain of a Maquis ship. Wasn't and he? several of the crew members. Were on the Maquis ship, and then it was the Federation. Yes. They, had to, they saved them and had to join forces. Yes, which was a lot of uh, source of tension for the first season or so. Yeah, which was actually pretty nice. I, I enjoyed that tension, and then it... Disappeated. Disappeated? What's the word I'm looking for, Steve? Dissipated. Disappeared. Disappointed? I think dissipated. I think disappointed yeah, was the word Steve I was looking for. But you're right. But I really enjoyed that they actually did bring it back later on in the series. Mm, the uh, that um, that maybe these crew members that we totally forgotten were criminals in the very beginning uh, might be facing charges when they actually do get home. Mm. Which we jumped over DS9, so let's let's actually go back to Yeah, so DS9, that like that was the one thing that was so amazing about it is it put two Star Treks on the in the air. But we've already talked about the fact that it was a station. It was stationary. Mm -hmm. It was not a ship sailing. It was a stationary station orbiting a planet. Uh, one thing I did like that uh, I think Voyager stole from it is that they were exploring a completely like far-reaching region of space that they could not reach otherwise through the wormhole. Yeah, that was cool. Well, and I think one of the, the things that it's easy to forget, but even while DS9 was going on and TNG was off the air, there were still TNG movies coming out. Like we had, I think, Generations First Contact and Insurrection all came out while Deep Space Nine was on the air. So Indeed. We had a lot of Star Trek going on, and and so we were we we kind of getting to explore the new universes while at the same time still being connected to what was now the old TNG universe. Yeah, it was a lot. It, it was a lot of fun. It felt like for nerds, we we were just getting to play in this big sandbox of Star Trek. And actually, if we look at the the timeline here the first when voyager aired 
Deep Space Nine was still on the air. Yes. And Generations came out. And Generations had the original series in there as well a little bit, right? They did. So all four Star Trek, like meaningful Star Trek series is that we've had to date. I, I noticed I said meaningful and just cut Enterprise. Yeah, that. I noticed that. Um, we're all on the air, or on the air, quote in quotes, because it was, it was actually just on available on screen all at the same time. Yeah, and and you're right. And Steve-O, you are right that uh, Insurrection and First Contact were both uh, set within uh, Deep Space Nine being on the air because in First Contact and Insurrection, they reference uh, the Dominion War and various other DS9 things going on. Wow, so it's almost like like Star Trek was did like what the Avengers are doing now, but back then with and TV better. shows and movies all crossing over. They did. Well, and I mean, it it answered a lot of questions because in in the Dominion War, you you get the like, why wouldn't Picard and the crew of the Enterprise be involved in that? Like, doesn't doesn't it make sense? And 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 so you know they got to answer those questions in kind of in in the movie other version. places. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Well, um, and and they even point out they're like, oh, it's kind of nice to be doing a, a, an exploratory mission uh, for once, and they reference how kind of weary they are of the war and that they've taken massive losses and things like that. So it's yeah, it's kind of nice cool. that they did that. Pretty pretty tight. Um, I mean, the other thing I love about DS Nine, because I just want to make sure we don't jump over this point, is that uh, a lot of the all all the other series are about exploring. And going to new planets and meeting new people and and all that. And then they leave and go do that again somewhere else. Whereas DS9 is that question of like, so what happens once they've made contact and then left? DS9 is what happens. There's a whole bunch of people that spend like the rest of their career building relationships with these people and helping them join the Federation. Like, it's not just like that, what it seems like in the other shows where it's like, you show up, you save them, and then you leave. It's like, no, you show up, you save them, you leave, and then a bunch of other people come and clean up. Yeah, first contact happens, and then proper diplomatic relations starts. And the diplomatic relationships take seven years, apparently. So yeah. Apparently it takes seven years. <laughs> yeah, seven years, and they're a member world. Well, and and I mean, again, to bring it back to, like, this is this is the world that, that we were living in at the time where... There wasn't like it, it's not as if on on the planet we we had these strange new worlds that we could be seeking out. the The planet of Earth was largely discovered, and and what we had left was the the exploration of politics after we discover the world. And and Deep Space Nine, in in such a brave fashion, said, "Okay, well, we're going to continue to tell stories that are relevant to the now." By telling the political stories of the future, I, I, it's such a bold and interesting choice. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Voyager, Theo. Voyager. You're the only one of us that likes it. I, I don't think I am. It's true. Stevo hates it. We've, I, I've confirmed this on many occasions. Uh huh. Stevo, is that true? Do you hate Voyager? Hate's a strong word. <laughs> Voyager is is bad, and there are parts of it that I love, and then there are parts of it that are just bad. And it's hard to say that the parts of it that I love at all redeem the parts of it that are bad. Okay. Okay, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I guess to me, if Voyager was like, uh, I guess it was this, it was the hope of a new TNG 
you know, and it was like, great, we're going to go back to exploring now that we've had this weird uh, segue into uh, stationary planets. I mean, this was at the time I didn't really get into DS9 because uh, it, it's not until I was older that I realized how great it was. But um, uh, it was like, yes, a new TNG. Great. Uh, with a female captain. Great. Let's, this is going to be awesome. And then I watched it and it was not awesome. So and, the hype might have been part of why I never got into it. And personally, I think it was great. I think it was a return to the TNG exploration ship. They did cut themselves off by sticking them stranded. Mm-hmm. And it was that was a problem. But I think they did return to it quite you know, decently. Yeah. Well, and I think the problem of, of Voyager isn't isn't the star trek parts of it the star trek parts of it i think that they i think they did that very well it's when they were attempting to make star trek something that it wasn't which was a sexy popular television show i mean we we will all look back fondly on deanna troy as as for a lot of us you know uh, a character that we that we uh fantasized about but okay that puts it to that makes it sound weird and I don't mean it like that. What I'm just saying is that, uh, I mean like, it like that. We I all mean had it a, like that. A, a school kid crush on Deanna Troy. No. Yeah, we did. Come on, nope. Theo. Don't lie. Theo, nope. everybody did. So nope, I'm just I gonna I did. edit the podcast, so I'm just gonna cut out you saying no. <laughs> you don't get to say no to that. God damn it. Well, if it wasn't Deanna Troy, then it was Riker. But uh but the the problem is seven of nine was not the kind of innocent crush that we had on Deanna Troy. Seven of Nine was trying to sell sex into Star Trek. And I think that that's just emblematic of the problems that they had with the show, where they tried to make it something that it absolutely wasn't and couldn't be, which was a super sexy popular television series. Yeah, I I agree with that. Uh, To an extent, I agree with that. Um, Because I think that's definitely what Seven of Nine's purpose was. But I think they were still trying to like stay true and honor what Star Trek was. Uh, it just didn't. The characters just were not compelling enough to me. Yeah, I I honestly enjoyed the story arc of Belana Torres, the engineer. Mm-hmm. I thought she was great because she was very angry in the beginning, and she again, like Tom Paris, evolved and became a mother mm-hmm. in the end. Um, I don't know. I I like Voyager because it explored. A little bit differently, like uh, a crew stuck on their own. And yeah, we already established that they're not willing to kill their own characters, which would have probably made it a little bit more interesting. But they they explored this section of space and they uh, they did it all on their own. And essentially, Janeway explored more than Kirk ever did uh, because of the nature of their mission that they just got stuck. Yeah, and I think I think my... The thing with uh, Voyager as well is that no, nothing it did, the, the closest thing it did to adding a new, like taking a step to something different, the two things it did. One was it made them lost in space, yep. which was awesome, but they didn't, I don't think, commit to it enough and kill people and have it be like a, for real, they're stranded, they're going to die. Like it just was like, we're lost in space. Now let's do Star Trek. You know, like, and they didn't commit to that change enough like they did with DS9 where they doubled down on it's a soap opera now in space. It's a soap opera. There's uh, a war. There's People a die. war. It's about relationships and stuff. Um, and Voyager didn't quite double down on that premise enough. And then the other thing is that all the different characters that were in it, none of them felt like a new 
it was like they it's like we have another Vulcan science officer. Uh, he just he's he's black though this time, huh? See the change we made? Like that was it, and except for the doctor, who was a hologram protocol. That was my brilliant. That was, that was the coolest addition that they added. Um, but everything else is just like oh, it's kind of just they're just it feels like a cookie cutter of Star Trek now, and it, it kind of was in its own way. Um, I think. Uh, for the record, I love the cameo that the Doctor had in First Contact. Totally. It's probably one of my favorite Star Trek cameos ever. The Doctor was in First Contact? Very briefly. Yep. Oh, you know, I, he was also in a DS9 episode. Uh, yes, he was. Creating a new model of the next Doctor based on, uh, on what's his name? But he was the creator, not like... The, yeah, he was, yeah. Not the, he was actually the creator. Yeah. Um, and that brings us... To the uh, to Enterprise, which I'm going to let you guys talk about. Actually, I'm I'm going to ask you one thing. Uh, you, you've stated that you absolutely hate the ending of Voyager, and I kind of want to know why. Hate the ending of Voyager? Yeah. No, I, I I don't hate the ending of Voyager because I don't even know how it ends because I don't care how it ends. That's how I feel about Voyager. But doesn't it? Oh wait, oh yeah, it's because it ends with them magically getting transported back by Q or something like that. No, no, no. It's actually Borg. Transwarp conduits. They get home that way. They, get they also order, destroy yeah. about half of the Borg collective. Yeah, which in and of itself is a little bit annoying. It's kind of a weird magic flight. Yeah. They also destroy Voyager. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't say I hate it because I they didn't destroy even... Voyager. Oh no, they didn't. Right? No, this they this was it starts after Voyager has gotten home. It does, and then they right, go back right. and get home earlier, thanks to Captain Janeway or Admiral Janeway. Sorry. Um, Time, time travel. Dude, time traveling and, <laughs> yeah, her superpower of time traveling. For for me, I think the, the finale of Voyager, in, like, in some ways, it, it was super cool. You know, Voyager gets home and then they, they decide that it's not enough. They have to get home sooner. And so they find a way to make that happen. But they do it in, the, like, they remove all the mystery and fun of the Borg. They they kind of in some ways negate the heart of the Voyager show in the way that they do it. And then they, you know, they kill off Chakotay. Did they kill him off there? Uh, he died in the future, uh, but he was, he made it back to earth. Seven of nine is the one that died uh, beforehand. Right. right. As and, and, and that's wife. the thing. They do this weird shell game on, and, and, and it just felt kind of like a cheap ending. And, I get it, like TNG had this kind of full circle, and the episode, other than the full circle part of the la uh, of the end of TNG, was beautiful. Like it was, it was this lovely conclusion to the story. Whereas Voyager never, it was never a lovely conclusion to the story. I kind of wanted them to remain lost. Yeah, I wanted the story to end with them still stuck in the Delta Quadrant. Maybe they made a bunch of progress, or they were more or less safe, but they had. A few more years left. Yeah. That's what I wanted. I yeah. Know. Okay. So, so Enterprise, quick. Enterprise. What did it add or destroy about the Star Trek universe? Well, it destroyed a lot. It Enterprise told a story that I don't think anyone had any interest in seeing. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, I remember being very excited when Enterprise came out, or when they first uh, released the premise for it, and the idea that it was a prequel before. Uh, the original series and discovering like the like before the Federation was was the Federation. I think it explored really interesting aspects because they had really low speed warp drive um, and they were meeting races that we'd already met. Like we knew about the Andorians and the, the Tellarites, but we got to see 
Captain Archer meet them more or less for the first time? I don't know. I think it just proves the, the, the overarching truth of the universe, which is that no prequel has ever been great. No, and I don't think that Enterprise was great. I think it did some really neat stuff. Um, I was okay with the fact that they encountered the Borg, but I don't think they should have won. They won against the Borg? Well, they didn't win, but they did manage to blow up the ship that the Borg were on. And it was just the fact that there was a couple that survived the crashing ship from first contact. I liked the 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 integration of it into the movies and the uh, later universe. Sounds like... Sounds like a... It sounds like the classic prequel problem of like we got to show them all these characters that they know from the ones before, later. So we got to show them the Borg. We have to show them this. We have to show them that, which is like the worst prequels ever. You're right, and that was some of the earlier stuff that they were like, oh, we got to show all this stuff off. But then when they got to their uh, long form and they did a, at least one season that was fully one long story arc, because yes. uh, they did learn that from DS9, and it was them uh, basically hunting terrorists, and it was. That was their their um, exploration of the world around them. Currently, because that was post nine eleven. That was like yep. America just post nine eleven, yeah. and it was as they yep. were um, pursuing the terrorists. So uh, they they showed that in a very and they watched you watched the captain go really crazy and like pursue it very violently and vigilantly uh, with his crew. Uh, to almost the complete destruction of the ship. And through a couple of the time travel or future tense episodes, you see it actually happen. Um, And I think that's where it it was strong. And then they did, um, they explored another part of that whole terrorist part of the world later in the last season where they had the xenophobia, Mm -hmm. uh, where Earth just wanted to isolate itself from everything. It didn't want to be the Federation. There was a group that was just like, nope, no aliens ever anywhere. And it was an interesting exploration with that. See, this is a wonderful example of how the whole of Star Trek is great. Like everything you just said to me sounds wonderful. But I'm pretty sure if I tried to watch Enterprise, I would not be able to. I could give you a couple episodes that I think you would enjoy. I think I enjoy your descriptions better. Okay. Steve, you got anything to say about Enterprise? Uh, I mean, I I don't disagree with Theo on any point that he's making, uh, except that none of that is Star Trek. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thing about Star Trek is that it's about the utopia. It's not about how we get there. And it's not about the the grid. Like, you can't have Star Trek after 9-11. Why? Because Star Trek is about the the wonderful nature of human beings coming together in the world. And in, in the years after 9-11, everything that we were watching on screen was telling the opposite story. And I, and I just don't think that Star Trek was well-suited to to that kind of era. And I think when they tried to tell stories that spoke to that era... They succeeded, but it stopped being Star Trek. That's that's, that's how a, I feel about it. That's a nice point. That's a nice point to make. Yeah, yeah, that's actually not bad at so, all. So real quick, just uh, new movies. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Do you like them? Do you hate them? I have one more thing about Enterprise. Oh, okay. Go and it was, it it, it's just a point that I, I've discussed with many, many people. And it's the, the fact that the mirror universe was put into it. And everybody has their problems with Enterprise because it, it kind of... It, it contradicts its, a lot of the other canon that's out there. And... Captain Archer was a bit of a shit captain, uh, and it, it kind of uh, it goes off the rails a little bit. And I think a really interesting way that they could have saved the entire series and no one would ever 
be pissed about anything in it, any of the contradictions and what have you, is if the last episode was the birth of the mirror universe rather than the Federation. So you realize that the entire series was not a dream, not a holodeck program like it actually was, and it was how the alternate universe was created. Wait a second. That would have been awesome. That would have been awesome, right? But wait a second. And you would have forgiven it. The whole thing was a hologram? Uh, the last episode... <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Did you just say that? <laughs> yes, uh, it was. The last episode is uh, Commander Riker on uh, the holodeck of the Enterprise D during the Pegasus conflict when he's uh, with the Starfleet cloaking device, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's watching... He's gone back to the beginning of the Federation and the birth of the Federation, and he's sort of exploring that within himself so that he can have the courage to go and talk to Captain Picard about the fact that his former captain is violating the Prime Directive. I, I, that, that can't be true. It's but totally it, true. Just to be clear, Dave, it's not a dream. It actually happened. He's, he's, he's watching he's history. Looking, okay. He's watching the history. Uh. Oh my God. <laughs> it's not Alice in Wonderland, but it's close. That yeah. just broke my brain. Okay, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna say the new Star Trek movies. Thumbs up to all of them. I think that they do exactly what uh, Voyager wanted to do, which was make Star Trek cool again. And I think that they tell Star Trek for our day and age better than Enterprise ever did. So thumbs up. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a thumbs up too. And I'm gonna I'm just to add to that and tie it in with your comment before about mythologies and stuff is that this is like the first time we've kind of retold one of the stories like with the same characters instead of just taking. Like, like those characters having existed in the past and now we're moving forward and just retold it, even though it is technically a, a mirror universe. It is like a wonderful retelling of Star Trek for the modern age. And, and I huge thumbs up. Uh, I'm also a pretty big thumbs up. I have my problems with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch being Khan yeah. and the fact that they swore up and down that it was not going to be Wrath of Khan again, but they did. Of course. Uh, and we'll we'll see how uh, Star Trek Beyond yeah goes okay so i know this episode's going long guys but i have two other questions that i really want answers to <laughs> all, right. all right the first one will be pretty quick i think uh and the second one might not be so quick but uh, both of them are just sort of like questions like which is your favorite or which do you think is the best so first one which is your favorite of of, of any star trek episode which is your favorite or which like is, is it, which couple or which one could be considered one of your favorites uh and i'll go first while you guys quickly think because I think one of my favorite episodes, there's two. There's two that I'm going to reference, both from DS9, and mo- both not just because they are um, they're great episodes, but because of uh, it's a it's a different way of telling a story within the Star Trek universe. The first is when we meet old Jake, uh, who's a writer retired on Earth, and he has these stories that he's written. Do you remember that episode? I do. Uh, that one I just want to just throw that out because it was so cool. But my favorite favorite is when Cisco is having these like uh, the prophets are giving him these crazy visions of being a black science fiction writer in like the 1940s. Oh, Benny. And he plays Benny and he's writing about a black captain on a ship. And it's like this very racially charged episode of Star Trek that I was like that uh, like that was to me that was Star Trek doing something that only Star Trek could do. I mean, good choices. Yeah. Good choices. That's what I'm going to say. That that's I'm just going to throw those out there. The yeah, take away. I think one of my absolute favorite episodes has got to be the Year of Hell from Voyager. It's a two part. 
where uh, they depict an entire year of in the Delta Quadrant in this one region of space where they're fighting one enemy, the Krenum, with... Uh, it's a it's a time travel episode. They end up fixing it, and nothing none of it actually happens. I hate Voyager. I hate you, Dave. <laughs> it's it's one of my my favorite because you watch Janeway go off the deep end, the entire crew leaves, a bunch of people die, and uh, the ship gets destroyed largely and then completely in the end. Uh, wow. Is probably one of my favorite episodes, but in terms of. Other things that I really enjoyed, uh, Relics from DS9, where they encounter the Dyson Sphere and Scotty comes on board from the mm-hmm. old series. I think that was really great. Mm-hmm. And DS9, uh, bada bing, bada bang. Which one's that? That's the one where they go and rob the casino in the holodeck for yeah. Vic. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, oh, man, I totally forgot all about Vic. <laughs> it's, one of my, it's one of my favorites because you watch them do something that they would never do in real life because it is a holodeck program and they're they're doing it for their friend vic von fontaine yeah and it's it's sort of one of those fun and games episodes that has no bearing on the universe Mm -hmm. it's right at the end of the dominion war when it's the worst it could possibly be yeah like and And they they had a lot of fun with it they have a fun and games episode something that uh battlestar galactica could have used a little bit more of Um, (laughs) but could but so yeah that's great pick great pick Mm -hmm. Those are good picks. Um, I am going to say probably because I'm a giant loser. Uh, my favorite episode uh, might be TNG's Measure of a Man, which is the trial uh, for whether Data is a person. Oh, that, good pick. That is a really great episode. And like they have his cat and they have pictures of the girlfriend that he had and stuff. And um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just just the fact that it, that was probably one of the best actual Star Trek episodes. I think the ones me and Dave referenced are a little bit more outside of the norm, and that is by far probably one of the best actual Star Trek episodes. It still is outside of the norm. It's a trial episode. Like that's not a common Star Trek thing. True, but it's exploring the uh, idea of prejudice against a particular group, yeah. i.e., androids. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt, uh, Steve. No, no. Um, yeah, I think you guys pegged exactly why it's it's my favorite and then um i want to say the inner light from tng which is the one where picard gets trapped in in the uh the experience of uh, a culture that died off thousands of years ago and he lives his entire life as as a as a man in that society with the flute and everything you you know the the episode yeah that's right that's when he learns how to play the flute in like two minutes (laughs) yeah such a lovely little episode. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. All right. That was just the first question. Here's the second <laughs> right. one. Here's the second one. And this one, I don't think it's going to be that crazy, but it's just like, it's something that I'd like to hear your your thoughts on. Because Star Trek is known for boldly going where no one has gone before, right? And breaking boundaries, not just in storytelling and in exploration of like different types of fictions in our humanity, um, but taking steps within today's actual world like the original series had a black woman on the bridge of the ship which was huge then right that was a huge step forward uh not on that but it had a russian working alongside an american huge leaps back then right and a japanese uh and man. A, a japanese man as the 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 uh the um Pilot. pilot, the pilot of the ship. So, like, huge leaps there. Uh, TNG had an android on the crew, like, like artificial intelligence working alongside 
human beings, uh, had, had us working with Klingons, which were our former enemies and aliens like on the ship. Oh, Spock as well, an alien life form on the ship. Um, DS9 had the changelings and stuff, and it had a black man as the leader of the whole thing, right? Like Janeway, a female captain for the first time um of uh and ds9 was thing a hologram like all these great steps forward for like challenging our our prejudices enterprise had a dog did it really have a dog <laughs> i Orthos. hate enterprise okay um but uh so so like the the uh they all take steps forward uh which of those do you think was either the most important or the one that like challenged us as a species to think differently of how we treat others that's my question a series as a whole which series had the the moment that was the most so which moment which which thing was it is it ahura because she was a black woman on the captain of a uh, on the bridge of a starship was it uh was it the doctor from voyager because he was a hologram so he wasn't even like he was a program that we were working with was it data the android was it the changeling who had like a completely different way of existing than we did was it cork with frangie i don't know was it the Steve, symbiote the like which one of these do you think was the one that like that uh i don't want to say controversial because it's not necessarily that it was controversial it's that it was uh it was saying like hey in the future we're going to have been we're going to be past this that is that is such a fantastic and i think difficult question uh, yes. to I do understand that it's difficult, so I'm not expecting like the the right answer. I'm just I'm just curious about your your thoughts or answer on that. Right answer. Yeah, like you know. So I'm gonna say that uh, the one that that always affected me the most was data, and the fact that we had a non-human, non-life form who had responsibilities on the ship, had relationships with people on the ship. It was. Normally we fear androids, but here at Nope Data is not only an android, but he's like the best crew member you could ever hope for and the relationships he forms with people. Uh, so I think that was one that, and then maybe that's just because that was like when I was a kid, that was the thing of like, we're all going to fear artificial intelligence and stuff and Terminator and thing like that. And so that was like a, hey, look, we have an android on the bridge. So which of the characters on the bridge do you think was excellent? I'm I'm going to say then that I think that Benjamin Sisko uh, as as the commander of Deep Space 9 um and and I'm I'm going to say that because he's the first black person that I remember seeing on television. It's it's not that he was the first. Uh J Jordy was pretty clearly on the TV, but <laughs> yeah. But I I remember Cisco as being a black man in a position of authority on the television. And that seems like it was a, a foundational sort of moment for me. Uh, as, as, a, as a young man, it was just this, kind, this, this, this moment of, of clarity where, oh, right, that can happen. And and so it was a big deal for me personally, uh, and I recognize that it was also a big deal uh, culturally. Um, and and it's it's hard to say the significance of that, but that moment uh, had a profound effect on me. Yeah, similar to my number two, which would have been Janeway, yeah, uh, the female female captain. But Data was the one that I hit me first. Yeah. 
Well, uh, I think one of the most important culturally for us has got to be uh, the original series, just because it was the first to do it. And ever since then, the other uh, shows have kind of been, oh, we, we need to do that. That's part of that's part of what Star Trek is. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I think uh, Deep Space Nine did it best because not only did they have a black captain that was in command and f- awesome, yeah. but they had a a badass woman as the second in command mm-hmm. who not only disliked her captain at first or the commander at first, but grew to respect and love him and then end up being uh, the captain herself mm-hmm. for a while. And she takes over DS9 in the end. And then on top of that, you also have an alien as the third in command, which was Worf. Like there, there was no, there was no white male figures that were in the largest um, most powerful positions in that show almost ever. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the white man that was in the position of most power was O'Brien. Yeah. And he was not even an officer. Mm-hmm. He was under everybody yeah, else. Chief of engineering. Yeah. <laughs> he's just chief. He He's an enlisted guy. He's just like, whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm good at the things. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, okay. So last bit of follow up on this question, the new series coming out in 2017 what are they going to do to take Star Trek, take these steps in Star Trek to like somewhere new, somewhere different? How are they going to change it? Are they just going to recreate it? What do you think? Steve-O? Honestly, I, I'm nervous that they're even going to do Star Trek. I, I think that the, the core idea of the show has to be, well, let's explore, let's explore the utopia, um, the, the utopia that we want now through the lens of the future. And I'm not entirely convinced that they're going to they're gonna do that first step. And so um, I also think that there is a lot of hesitance in, in television today to promote social issues in, in the same way. Yeah. Um, I, I think that if, if it were, if we were in, if D- Deep Space Nine were airing today, going with a black captain would be, would be probably seen as as a more radical move and studios wouldn't go with it in that like they'd be worried about the blowback and honestly mm. i think the, i think the studio is going to worry about the kind of blowback they they will get if they they make those sorts of bold choices if they have there be gay characters uh, in the new star trek series i think that they're we're we're going to hear a lot about it uh, from from people who are up in arms. And I, so I think for that reason, studios won't do it. But I think you did nail one of the ones that I think would be uh, almost necessary in the new series would be gay characters. Or a gay character. Gay or trans or, or, transsexual any or transgender. gender fluid. Some kind of gender uh, fluid character I think would be almost necessary to show like, hey, in the future, guess what? We're not going to care about this anymore, people. Can we, can we get over it, right? Like... Because that's one of those things that Star Trek does really well. In the future, Russians and Americans and Javanese and black people are all going to be on the bridge of a ship together. And so, like, a transgender, transsexual person or a, even, even, like, even if they aren't ready to go that far, a gay character, at least, I think would be huge. And I think, uh, I think the other thing I would like to see is an alien captain. Like, like a, uh, a, Cardassian, a, a Cardassian captain or a, a, a Klingon captain or a somebody... That is not a human as the captain of a Federation ship. Well, 
Um, I think based on what the rumors that we know about is that it's going to be set between the original series and Next Generation. So the Dominion War is never going to become a factor. It's all going to be set before. It's supposed to be going back to sort of the exploratory things. Uh, so we're not going to see Klingons as necessarily friendlies, but we are going to see hopefully more aliens. And I would love to see an alien captain. I think that would be a great way to go. Yeah. Um, and just to touch on the point, uh, TNG actually t- touched very briefly on trans issues once with uh, the episode Aquiel when Riker falls in love with a woman that didn't have gender. Right. Right. Go TNG. The next, the next gender. (laughs) But like, that was the worst. I'm sorry you didn't get to see that face to (laughs) you. Well, okay. Uh, So now that we have spent an hour and 40 minutes uh, talking, (laughs) talking about Star Trek, I think that brings us to the end. Any last words that you want to have, Dave? Uh, I would say that um, uh, Star Trek has always been a television show and a, a, a media franchise that has boldly gone where other shows don't go. And I hope that they continue to do that in the future. And I'm looking forward to seeing this new series that comes out and, and the steps that they take. I'm looking forward uh, for the new movies to see where they go and the, the differences and changes they're going to make. Uh, and I think without... Uh, I think yeah. I think without Star Trek, our our nerdy space exploration society culture, whatever it is, would not be nearly as uh, as relevant or as powerful as it is today. Cool, cool. And uh, you, Theo? Uh, I I love Star Trek through and through. Um, and we'll see what they what they do with it in the future. And you know, maybe I'll stop watching. Because if they screw it up too much, I, I probably will. You watched through Enterprise, so I think you're willing to sit through it. I will probably <laughs> sit through it. Um, <laughs> that being said, if they did it a little closer to Serenity, I wouldn't be upset. <laughs> it just can it can be Firefly season two instead of Star Trek, please. <laughs> okay, well, uh, well, thank you guys very much. This has been a fun episode, and uh, may the force be with you. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs>
Thank mm-hmm. you.